Welcome to the Teaching Middle School ELA Podcast. We're your hosts, Caitlin Mitchell and Jessica Kanata. If you're looking for ways to bring rigor and engagement to your middle school ELA classroom without sacrificing your nights and weekends, then this podcast is for you. Our goal is to provide you with your weekly dose of tips, tools, and inspiration so you can actually enjoy teaching again. We'll help you bring the fun and creativity to your ELA lessons so that your students master the standards and you can leave school when the bell rings. Get ready to be that teacher you've always wanted to be to do great work and thrive. All right, we're excited for today's episode all about using mock trials to help your students master the standards, but also have fun in your class. And I just love mock trials. I've actually never done one, but I've loved like all of our teachers in the AB Teachers Club doing them, the way that you talk about them. I don't know why I never did. It just never happened in my classroom. Did you ever do one in high school though or in middle school? Like we totally did for Lord of the Flies sophomore year. That was I don't recall doing that. It's very likely we did. And I just don't, I have such a horrible memory. I like don't remember much of my life at all. So it's possible (laughs) that happened, but it clearly it didn't have a very significant impact on me. Um, but anyways, (laughs) mock trials, I think are really a neat way to get your students engaged in whatever topic it is, text that you're reading. That's different than what we're used to. You know, I think so often, we'll get into just this pattern of this lack of engagement with our students, right? We kind of do like the same things over and over again and things start to become stale or you'll ask the question and we've all been taught wait time as teachers. Oh yeah. And so we'll ask this like thought provoking question and we'll sit there for five, 10 seconds and wait time, wait time. And still no one raises their hand and it's like, <laughs> okay, come on, you guys, you know, like participate. And that's really hard. Like that is like pulling teeth sometimes and it's brutal as a teacher or, You have that one student who always participates in class. Like Marguerite was my student who always did that. And I would get to a point where I'm like, I can't call on Marguerite anymore. I really need somebody else to participate in this discussion. Um, So that's what I love about Mark Trials is that it really gets students to be engaged on a different level. You know, they're all participating with thought-provoking questions or they're analyzing the text deeply in a really fun way that is applicable to real life. You know, some of them Mm -hmm. might grow up to become lawyers or participate in a courtroom experience in some capacity based on what they decide to do. Um, So mock trials, if you haven't done one yet, and I wish that I could go back in time and go back to the classroom just to experience this. (laughs) Um, But I've seen it happen with our teachers in the EB Teachers Club and just the way that you've talked about it as a teacher using mock trials to really just spark that immediate engagement in your students, you know, have them just begging for, hey, can we do something like that again in the future? And they don't even know how many standards they're addressing, the fact that it's, you know, informational text or reading for literature or speaking and listening skills. It just hits the gamut and I love it. So what we're going to talk about today, and Jessica, I'm so glad you're going to be taking everybody through this. (laughs) is really how to use a mock trial. Like how can you set it up? And if you're watching this on YouTube, Jessica's going to share some examples uh, visually. If you're listening to this on the podcast, you can go check us out on our YouTube channel as well to see what it is that Jessica's describing as she kind of walks through everything. So I'm going to let you take it away. All right. (laughs) I really, I do like this episode because I think a lot of teachers might hear mock trial and just say, Ugh, it's not for me. It sounds like a lot of work, right? Yes. I'm intimidated by it. Yeah. And I think maybe that's to be. why I didn't do it. Totally. Yeah. And that's really what we're sharing today is like the lessons 
I've learned since doing them in my own classroom and how we can set you up for success to, you know, try in your own. So I have done mock trials since like my second year of teaching. I even, I brought my book. This is the exact copy of the book I use with my students. Do you know this one, Caitlin? The yes. story of the three little pigs. I can never say the Great author's story. last name, so I'm just not going to even try, but um, I'm sure you've all used it in your classrooms, you know, to teach point of view or perspective. And it's the wolf's point of view with, um, you know, the blowing houses down thing. He says he has a cold, all that good stuff. So when I was teaching fourth grade, I read this story with my students and we did study perspective. And then I thought, oh, it would be really fun to put the wolf on trial. And so that's what I did with my small group of fourth graders. And they were hooked. Like they had so much fun with this, but I didn't know what I was doing. Like literally I said to them, is the wolf guilty or innocent? And we had the original story of the three little pigs and this version. And that was all the guidance I gave them. <laughs> like it, it's not good, right? It's just like, it's fun. But they still loved it. They loved it, but I didn't plan and prep. So I remember though, I was really fortunate. We had these high school volunteers in the classroom. And so they really were helping me with this unit. And they like would meet with some of my students and help them come up with arguments, but we didn't really dive deep. And so what's cool is like, I knew I enjoyed mock trials, but then I could take it to the next level. Right. So because I didn't give them much direction, I was like, I need to come up with something. I need to have some structure to my mock trials. So I kind of developed that over the years. And then through EB, we came up with more of a, a framework to use to really elevate the lesson. And so that's what we're going to share with you today. Those lessons that we learned and then the framework that you can use to apply it in your classroom. Awesome. So when we go, sorry, go ahead. Andrew. No, I was just going to say, it's so great because then you're truly giving yourselves this or not giving yourselves, giving your students like this authentic learning experience, like that you mentioned earlier, right? Those students might end up becoming lawyers who knows, mm -hmm. but either way, students are going to apply critical reading skills. They're going to write, they're going to practice those speaking and listening standards as they find evidence, they justify their responses. It's so much better than my original, just, you know, is the wolf guilty? So I'm really excited to share all the lessons we learned. And so as I'm listening, this is something that I'll be able to be like, okay, I got that. I can do that and make sure I put that into my classroom so that it really is like, here's how to set it up and structure mm -hmm. it for you. Um, so that it doesn't feel overwhelming or daunting or like, I just, I can't even think about all of the components right. that go into that. Yeah. No, exactly. Um, and you, the, our curriculum team actually recently released a mock trial template resource that mm -hmm. basically is everything that Jessica is going to talk about, but done for you so that you can just plug it into whatever piece of literature you're studying. So if you're an EB Teachers Club member, this was released a couple of weeks ago. So if you haven't grabbed it for free using one of your EB coupon codes, definitely go grab it because it's something, it's one of those rinse and repeat activities that you can do time and time again that we talk about all the time that saves you time planning um, and also so allows you to really hit the standards with your students. And if you're not an EB Teachers Club member, um, I'd love to invite you to join our wait list where you can join us ultimately in the EB Teachers Club with all of our amazing other teachers. So if you go to ebacademics.com forward slash membership, you can add your name to our wait list and we will get you information for joining the EB Teachers Club um, shortly after that. So with that being said, Jessica, let's dive into, I think you're going to talk about the lessons that you learned yes. over the years, like things kind of that you've got to do to do yes. it well. So you can have a successful mock trial, right? And I love that you said you're going to want to rinse and repeat this because I guarantee your students are going to say, when can we do the next one? Like the second you're done with your first mock trial. <laughs> All right. So lesson number one, this might seem obvious, but you need to plan in advance. When I did that mock trial with the, you know, the big bad wolf, 
it was very spur of the moment. And that's why it didn't result in like true academic learning. It was fun. But now here's what I would suggest. (laughs) So what you want to do is you want to choose your text in advance, right? What short story or what novel are you going to use with your mock trial? And you really want to focus on one that includes some kind of crime or wrongdoing, right? Students need to be able to prove something. So that crime is what the defendant will be accused of. So you pick your short story with a crime. Then you choose your defendant. So this needs to be a character or maybe even a group of characters who could be reasonably accused of perpetrating the crime or the wrongdoing that you selected. Okay. And then you come up with your essential question for the text. So this is the question that your students are going to focus on as they read the text and search for relevant evidence. Think of it as like the question that you're going to be arguing in court. So mine before was, is the wolf you know, guilty or innocent of blowing down the houses. And Caitlin's going to walk through some other examples that might be more relevant in your own classrooms too. Yeah. And I love this kind of like first lesson, this first learning, because it's so simple and it's mm-hmm. a great place to start. I'm thinking to myself, oh, okay, I can absolutely do those three things very easily and, and get started on this. Yeah. Um. So we have two examples for you. The first one is from the outsiders, which I'm sure a lot of us are familiar with those of you listening. Um. And so you're going to basically pick the defendant is going to be Johnny Cade right? So that's the person who is the defendant. And then you have your crime. Well, the crime in this situation is the death of Bob, right? Of Bob Sheldon. And then the essential question that you're going to give your students, I'm sure you can guess is, is Johnny Cade guilty of Bob Sheldon's murder? So very simple, easy things that you can do and take out of your text right now, as you're thinking about, well, what text can I apply this concept to? And then the second example is from the landlady by Roald Dahl. And our defendant in this case is the landlady. The crime is the deaths of Christopher Mulholland and Gregory W. Temple. And then the essential question, of course, is, is the landlady guilty of the deaths of Christopher and Gregory? Very simple, easy place to start. Right. So you just organize your text, you write that stuff down because that's going to guide then all of your planning for the rest of the mock trial. Perfect. And that's where, yeah, where lesson two comes in. Okay. And again, I did not do this my first time, probably or my second time with a mock trial, but this is where scaffolding is crucial, right? We know that as teachers, but it's really important in a mock trial. If you want to see your students um, rise to the occasion and have success with this. So it's important first to outline what a mock trial even looks like for students. They may not have ever had experience with court or trials. So we need to break down the roles that will be present during the trial. What is the prosecution team? What is the defense team? What are their responsibilities? What does the jury actually do? How are they chosen? So you want to define those relevant terms for your students and then any terms that are important for the roles they might be playing. So when you do a mock trial, right, you're going to have a defense team. You're going to have a prosecution team and you're going to have a jury. But within those teams, they're going to have different responsibilities. So they need to know what is an opening statement? What's made up of that? How can I make an effective closing statement? What is a verdict? All of those things we want to define for them. And of course, we want to break down each part of each team's role. So on the prosecution team, like I mentioned, opening statement, claim, premise, evidence, words, hopefully your students are somewhat familiar with from their writing, but again, breaking it down in terms of a trial. So that's your next step, right? It's time for the mock trial. You've defined all those terms for your students. You've separated them into their three teams. 
Okay. They're going to be, you know, analyzing the text, going through that essential question that you came up with earlier, but then we need to give them graphic organizers, right? They're not going to just think about the question you gave them, right? Is the landlady guilty or not? And come up with their entire argument. It's not going to be effective, but if we give them graphic organizers, you better believe they're going to come up with really good stuff. So the first graphic organizer you're going to give is what we call an evidence tracker. And that goes to every student in the, in the class and they use it as they read the text. So in this case, the essential question you came up with goes at the top of the evidence tracker. And as students read, no matter which team they're on, or if they're part of a jury, they're looking for evidence to prove the defendant is either guilty or innocent. I think that's important that they're looking for both sets of evidence because maybe they don't know what team they're on yet, or maybe you have assigned them, but either way, they're coming up with that evidence and then they're justifying it. So that's as they read. So once you're done reading and you're done with the evidence tracker, then it's important to have graphic organizers for each of the roles. So I want to break that down here. And I actually, if you're watching this on YouTube, I'm going to show you what these graphic organizers look like. If you're just listening, don't worry, I'm going to you know, walk you through it. You'll be good to go. So you've got your teams, right? Again, prosecution, defense, and jury. And we have different graphic organizers for each of the teams because their roles are different. So I'm going to go through one of the defense team's graphic organizers. Can I interrupt you just really fast? Yes, you can. What I love about all of this is if you're familiar with our EBW approach, this is what we do when students are going to write a response to literature. So it's essentially the same concept, just taken a little bit further and molded into fitting a mock trial. So it really isn't um, as daunting or intimidating as perhaps, you know, I thought five, six years ago when I was thinking about it, but I I thought to myself, I can't do that. That's too much. Totally. As long as you have that support then it's Mm -hmm. very approachable. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So again, defense team graphic organizer. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see this here. This is for the first responsibility in this case, the opening statement. So we can't just have a student, you know, come up with their own opening statement with no guidance. So what we do is we give them the requirements for a strong opening statement. And in this case, there's different sections. We want them to capture the audience's attention. So we tell them, okay, In this section, you're going to immediately present the theme of your case. Then we want them to tell, in this case, tell a story, right? Engage the jury members, get them interested in this trial. That's important for them to really spend time thinking about and not just dive into an opening statement. Next, connect, make a connection with the jury. Don't simply read your opening statement, right? If we didn't give our students guidance, you know, they would be up there with their notes, covering their face and just reading through everything. And it wouldn't be fun for anyone. So this way we're telling them, okay, you're going to jot down your notes and then you're going to practice it. And finally conclude. So your students are going to conclude their um, opening statement by telling the jury to take action. What is it you want them to focus on for the rest of the trial? So that's one person on the defense team's role to come up with the opening statement. And we've structured that graphic organizer for them so that they can take all their notes. And again, if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll see that we actually give students an example of an opening statement. It's so helpful to have a small mentor text where they can say, oh, 
I see what you mean by a strong hook or, oh, that was a really good use of a strong, like compelling vocabulary word. I might try something like that in my own. So it's going to help them come up with much stronger opening statements. So this is one person's role. This is one person's role. And I think that's really key that it's very specific to that role, because if you're giving the opening statement on the team, obviously I have to do something else, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe my role is presenting the very first piece of evidence. So that's a separate graphic organizer. So you really want to think about all the roles on each team and how you can set up each student for success. Got it. So if I was doing the evidence, right, I'm going to show another graphic organizer here on YouTube. I might have students come up with a claim and a premise, text evidence, and then justification. So this would be the first thing I'm presenting in court, right? To prove that the defendant is innocent. I give my evidence. I explain why all of that good stuff, but it's helpful to have it all written down. Mm -hmm. So that might be student number two on the defense team. Student number three might come up with another piece of evidence and have a very similar graphic organizer. Student number four might come up with a counterclaim or a rebuttal in this case, right? Mm -hmm. To say, you know, the prosecution might say this, but, and then go back and reprove it. Right. And then finally you have the closing statement and that's set up very similar to the opening statement where we give students the structure to craft a compelling closing statement. So that's the defense team. And then prosecution is obviously very similar in terms of graphic organizers. You're just arguing, you know, that the The other side, yeah, yeah. Um, this is what's interesting to me. And this is what I never considered again, when I was first doing mock trials is you have your jury, right? So you're prepping for your mock trial and the prosecution and defense, they're gathering all this evidence. They're coming up with their opening statements, but what's the jury doing? Mm -hmm. You don't want them just sitting there and saying like, okay, I don't really have a role until the trial actually starts. So I love this idea, but, um, Patricia on our curriculum team, she worked on this and it's so cool. So what we have the jury members do is they start researching like what makes an effective juror member. Juror, is that right? Yeah, juror. It's a hard word to say. (laughs) Um, So that they're actually doing work in the pre-trial. So Patricia came up with these cool questions that jury members can research so that they are better equipped to do their job. So I'm just going to share two questions that you might consider giving your own students if you're doing a mock trial. So one is in a trial, the prosecutor's job is to prove the defendant is guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Well, what does beyond a reasonable doubt mean in the legal sense of the term? So students will research that so that they can better make their decision later on. Another question is, does a judge have to accept a jury's verdict in a criminal trial? Explain. So it's nice. We give our students about six, seven questions, and they go off and do that research while the other two teams are prepping. It keeps everyone busy, everyone engaged. We also have the jury work on like a, what do you call that? I can't think of the word right now, but it's like a an oath, I guess, of like how they, you know, promise to tell the truth and they're going to listen to both sides. So they come up with the criteria of what makes an effective jury themselves. And then they share that with the teacher. So it really does keep them engaged in rigorous work. That's brilliant. It is right. Yeah. Good job, Patricia on that. (laughs) So That's lesson number two to really scaffold all your work, provide students with those graphic organizers so that They are really coming into this trial with rigorous evidence and they're not just getting up there and, you know, reading something or it's a bunch of fluff. You want to keep them engaged, but 
meeting the standards. Yeah. I love those. So lesson one and lesson two, and then lesson three, even though I haven't done a mock trial, but I always am thinking about, okay, what about for the upper grades? What about for seventh, eighth grade high Mm -hmm. school teachers that might be using a mock trial in their classroom? How can we elevate what students are doing in class to take it to that next level? And I think that this is a great opportunity, obviously. And I'm sure you're sitting here thinking, you know, how can we elevate this type of lesson? Well, with that persuasive language, which is something that we need to teach, you know, in writing anyways. Um, as well as vocabulary as students are participating in that mock trial. So you might want to incorporate a really brief lesson on ethos, on pathos, on logos, alongside a review of charged words. You know, I remember teaching, um, gosh, Patrick Henry, give me liberty or give me death. I can't think of the, Mm -hmm. the name of that for speech for some reason, but he just uses so much of that. And it's so convincing and it's so powerful. How can we equip our students with that same type of, um, elevation of their arguments in class? Well, let's teach them a little brief lesson on these different elements that they can incorporate. And that can go a really long way. You know, you can explain and model that for your students, how to use those strategies. You can use some really great speakers from history. I mean, I don't know about you, but there are certain people that I listen to and I am just, wow, like so persuaded by them because they incorporate a lot of these things. Whereas there are other speakers that I'm listening to and I kind of wish that like, give me <laughs> a little bit more, you know, I'd be so much more motivated by what you're saying if you were more convincing in the way in which you said it. So I think that elevating students' arguments is really simple in just incorporating these different elements of, you know, charged words of ethos, et cetera, into their requirements for the prosecution team, for the defense team. I mean, even you could have the juror who Mm -hmm. delivers the verdict, you know, be learning each of these terms. How can they deliver a verdict in a very convincing, compelling manner? Absolutely. And in the resource we've created, we come up with a list of charged words that students could use. And we do have a requirement of, you know, try to incorporate three words into your opening statement or whatever. But if you're creating this on your own, you know, definitely spend some time finding those charged words or encourage your students to find them. Yeah. Right. Easy way to elevate the lesson. Absolutely. Lesson number four. I love this one. This is where the fun comes in, right? We've been talking all about the rigor of the lesson, how to elevate it. Like Caitlin said, But lesson four is leaving some room for a margin of magic, right? We want to have fun with this. We want our students to say, let's do that again. Or that was amazing. Oh my gosh. And they will say that, but we need to put in just a tiny bit of effort here to make it fun. Not much though. It's truly simple. So (laughs) some ideas of what you can do to leave that room for that margin of magic. You can dress the part, right? You're the judge as the teacher. Think about if you have an old graduation robe sitting in your closet at home, like, wouldn't it be fun to just throw it on that day or bring in a gavel from Amazon or even a little hammer, whatever it is to just make your role more convincing. I know some of our EB teachers, they post in our Facebook group and they get into it. And I love seeing their costumes. I think one wore like a Harry Potter robe and it worked perfectly. Like it's so creative. Yeah. Um, another thing to do is in your classroom, just set it up a little bit differently on the day of the mock trial, right? You can have a mock bench and a placard with your name on it for the judge. You can put the desks together for the prosecution team and the defense team. You can have a little area where the jury is going to sit, like a what do they call it? The jury gallery, I think that is. Um, you can borrow a podium somewhere in the school and have that set up for students to stand in and give their arguments. It's really just going to make it 
a much more um, authentic experience and students are then going to step into their roles differently. Mm-hmm. You can also hang some signs around your room, right? Make it look like a courtroom. In our resource, we have signs made, but you can make your own that say like, quiet, please, court in session, or no eating, drinking, or cell phone use. Just like imagine if the day of the mock trial, if you had some of those signs outside your classroom door, as your students start to come in that day, they're going to be excited. And Mm -hmm. that's going to take you, you know, two minutes to print out and hang up. So worth it. One of our teachers even bought, I don't know, you probably saw the post in the Facebook group, a, it was amazing background that she hung up and it was, it was a courtroom. Basically it was really, really cool. Loved that. Yeah. Found it on Amazon. I think she said, Mm -hmm. yep. (laughs) And then finally, I really think this is a great opportunity to invite your admin to come watch the trial. I am such a strong um, encourager of this, like, don't wait for your admin to come watch you observe. But this is one of those lessons where you say, Hey, you know what? I'm really proud of something my students have been working on. I'd love for you to come be a part of it. And really you're not doing anything. Your mm-hmm. students are showing off here. And I think it's, it's even better if your yes. admin has read the text beforehand mm-hmm. and is a little bit invested in the short story. I know it's a novel that's harder, but even if they have a summary of what's happening, then they can give their input to the students. And I'm sure the students are going to want to know, well, how would you have voted, right? If you were <laughs> on the jury or make them part of the jury. So it just let, lets your admin or lets other teachers witness the skills of your students as they successfully explain evidence, justify their reasoning, right? It's their opportunity to shine. And so I just love inviting someone in and making the experience that much better. Well, yeah, because also your admin wants to see really your student success as a result of your directions, right? Right. It's not you standing at the front of the class, direct instruction teaching. This is your students actually showcasing their learning based on how you've kind of brought them to that place. So I think there's nothing more powerful than that. Um, so if you're nervous about giving mock tri- mock trials a try, <laughs> hopefully this eases your concerns a little bit. I know even just listening to Jessica talk about it is ex- exciting to me. You know, I would love to go into a classroom and watch this happen. I wish that I could go back to the classroom just to do this. And I am regretful that I didn't have your directive back then when I, when I should have taken the opportunity to do it. So consider this like your swift kick in the butt to (laughs) go try it and test it out and don't, you know, live like I am regretting that you didn't get a chance to do it. And it's something that our EB teachers talk about all the time in our Facebook group, just how, you know, easy it was for them to implement, but also how much their students surpass their expectations. I think that that's what happens a lot of the times is we're nervous about how are students actually going to perform? Can they really do this? Are they really capable? Is this too difficult? You know, I think a lot of the times we see it happening in high school classrooms. And so we're anxious about bringing it into fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. Um, But one of our teachers, Stephanie said about her students that they surpassed all of her expectations, that it was so engaging. She says, one of my biggest challenge friends, in my class asked when we can do another trial again. And he never thought ELA could be fun. You know, when we get feedback like that from our students, that's when we know we're doing a really good job with elevating the excitement in the classroom, that engagement for our students that they really need and they, they thrive off of. And we do too, you know, as teachers. And then Natasha, one of our other EB teachers, I just want to share I'm going to read everything that that she wrote because it's so good. She goes, holy smokes. I just have to share my win. My sixth graders are loving and absolutely crushing the monkey's paw mock trial. I've never seen them so excited and engaged. They asked me to read the story aloud because they wanted to dedicate their focus to annotations. (laughs) 
<laughs> I love that. And before I gave any handouts or directions, they presented me with notebooks full of their claims, justification, and evidence. So I think that speaks volumes to yes. how powerful <laughs> this simple activity now that you've made it seem very simple and approachable um, activity in our classrooms and to rinse and repeat it. If your students love it, do it again. So just a reminder to our EB Teachers Club members, go grab this for free using one of your free EB coupon codes that you can use our mock trial template with any text that you have. And if you are not yet an EB Teachers Club member, we'd love for you to join us. Add your name to our wait list. Go to ebacademics.com forward slash membership. And we hope to see you on the inside of the EB Teachers Club soon. All right. Thanks so much, everybody, for joining us. This was a great, very helpful episode. Thank you so much, Jessica, for the time that you put into putting this together. I'm glad we did it. Next week's the two game-changing sentences that will instantly improve your students' essays. So I'm excited about that because I think that they're very powerful and they're simple. And I think sometimes we overlook the simplicity thinking we have to overcomplicate things in order for them to be effective. And I think that this episode will show you that that is not true. (laughs) All right. We'll see you guys next week on the podcast. Have a great week, everybody. 